الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولله العزة ولرسوله وللمؤمنين ولكن المنافقين لا يعلمون صدق الله العلي العظيم my dear respected and most honorable elders beloved brothers and sisters in Islam Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu First of all we begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this opportunity to congregate in his house to worship him to glorify him to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we pray that Allah will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. Alhamdulillah, Allah bless you all for being here at the beginning, at the start of the khutbah and having your names recorded before the angels come and sit down in the masjid. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from you your at attendance and ennoble you further. We're, I'm going to tell you a story of one companion of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what this what this companion he represented and how we living in the 21st century in a day and age where a lot of emphasis is, is placed on materialism and when you look at a person you base your opinion or of him on the way you perceive him to be the way he looks the way he is uh, and then that becomes a lasting opinion of that individual you look down upon people instead of lifting and uplifting their spirits and inshallah then we're going to talk about the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the example of the prophet alaihi wasallam and how he encountered that this companion of the Prophet ﷺ, not much is known about him. His, in Al-Isab Fi Tamiz Sahaba of Ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, the book of uh, uh, where he records the companions of the Prophet, a biography of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, not much is mentioned about him, not many ahadith are narrated about him. What we do know of him is his name. His name was Julaybib. Now I want you to put your hands up if you've heard of this companion. Julaybib. No? Well, you're in for a treat, alhamdulillah. For those of you who haven't, and even for those of you who have, Julaybib, it means, uh, uh, the, the name comes from uh, Jilbab. And it's, it's the ism tasheer of Jalbab, which means a small gown. He was known to be very short. It's a diminutive, the diminutive form of the word Jalbab. The name is an indication that Julaybib was very small and he was extremely short. More than being just merely being short, he was described in the books of history as Dhameem. Dhameem means uh, of uh, of a deformed, uh, unattractive appearance. He was described as being 
unattractive, ugly, you, you would say. Repulsive in one uh, particular biography that I've come across. And even more disturbing for the society in which he lived, Julaybib's lineage was not known. It wasn't known who his father was and who his grandfather was. And that's worse than him actually having a physical deformity at, in the time of the Arabs, the time in which he lived, because so much emphasis was, was placed upon lineage and heritage. My father is this man, whose father was that man, and we come from this great tribe. Part of that which actually still exists today. So he didn't have any of that. He didn't have a lineage, he, wasn't of, he was of repulsive appearance, he wasn't attractive. There's no record of who his mother or his father were, or what tribe he belonged to. He was a man without a tribe. And this was considered a serious disability in the society that he lived in. And from that, you can imagine that Julaybib, he didn't get any compassion, or he couldn't even expect any compassion or any protection or support from anybody. Because whenever you had an issue, or you got into a brawl or an argument with someone, you know you had the support of your tribe behind you. That was the way of the Arabs. So when they had an argument with someone, and you had a brawl and you hit someone, or you abused them, and that, that individual belonged to a strong tribe, or any tribe for that matter, as long as they belonged to a tribe, they would go back and they would say to their tribe, this person from that tribe beat me. That person from that tribe, they would say, we're at war with that tribe. So two tribes will go to war over the argument of two individuals. That's the society that, that existed at the time. And again, like I said, that mentality still continues to exist today. You will find that tribalism in the, the, uh, among some of the Arabs today, and, and, and our brothers will tell you this. You'll find that among the Muslims in, in the Indian subcontinent today, that tribal um, uh, you know, uh, emphasis placed upon uh, heritage and society. So he didn't have any of that. So he had nobody to support him. He had nobody to protect him. It's also reported that he was physically disfigured as well, which didn't work well for him. People looked down upon him. He had a hunched back. And his face was described as being repulsive, and people were repulsed by it. When he wasn't a Muslim, he would take refuge with the women. Now there's something significant about that. The reason that's been reported as to why he took refuge with women is because in the company of men, not only was he looked down upon, he was severely abused. Severely abused prior to accepting Islam in the days of Jahiliyyah. So he would take and sit in the company of women because women were of a compassionate, were of a more compassionate nature and they were sensitive to his plight and his suffering. So they, you know, uh, they, they didn't mock him, they were nice to him. It's reported that he slept on the trees and he roamed from one discomfort to another. He was poor, he was weak physically. He wore a torn garment with several patches on it. He was barefoot and hungry most of the time, along with having 
an obscure lineage and heritage. He possessed absolutely no status, no wealth, no family, uh, no roof to shelter him. He would often sleep in the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ. He would drink from public fountains. Uh, his pillow, is reported, was his own arm. He would just sleep there. Uh, and he didn't have anything of material possession, nothing at all. But there's one thing about him. He remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he remembered his Lord profusely. He knew that when, he had ev when everybody in this dunya had deserted him, when nobody paid him any attention, when he had absolutely no status in society, he knew he could rely upon one individual, one entity, and that was his Rabb. That was his Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the, the entity that would never forsake him, the entity that would never leave him, that would never abuse him, that would never ever vilify him, and would always be sensitive to his plight and his suffering. It's reported, in fact, when he would um, receive the abuse from the men in society and he would seek refuge with the women who were far more compassionate towards him and who didn't find his appearance a source of mocking and laughter. This wasn't liked by everyone. There was a companion whose name was Abu Barza al-Aslami, radiallahu ta'ala an. This companion, he once said to his wife that if I ever see you in the presence of... Uh, or in the company, or if you allow uh, uh, a to be in your company, I'm going to be very upset. I'm going to get very angry. Um, so people didn't like that, uh, that, um, that was would take, uh, he would sit in the company of women. Now going to the, that's just giving you a background of who, who this individual was, and for you to paint a picture in your mind of how he must have been dealt with in society. And you might know of individuals in your society who experience the same sort of bullying and the same sort of mocking and vilification. After accepting Islam, it's reported one day, the Prophet, uh, he met the Prophet wasallam, and Ibn Hajr reports that it was either when the Prophet ﷺ had said something in one of his khutbahs or the Prophet ﷺ had said something directly to Julaybib, which gave Julaybib hope. And it was regarding Jannah and the beauty of Jannah and who would be able to enter Jannah. And the Prophet ﷺ would always give glad tidings to his companions. You know, these were individuals. That Allah was pleased with them and they were pleased with him. Uh, so one day the Prophet ﷺ gave one, sort, one such khutbah. And Julaybib came to the Prophet ﷺ. And look at the question. It just shows you the state of mind that Julaybib was in. The impact of the years of abuse upon his psyche. And you find that today, he came to the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, innocently, he said, will I be able to enter Jannah in the condition that I'm in? 
with a physical deformity? Am I allowed? Do I have permission to enter Jannah with the appearance that I have? And it's amazing that he had to ask that question. That he, is he allowed to enter Jannah because of the physical deformity? Would he be granted a place? Jannah is this beautiful place reserved for the best of the best. Jannah has everything that anyone could ever desire and hope for. How, would I ever be worthy? That's what he's thinking to himself. Would I ever be worthy of such a maqam, such a status, such an honor? And the Prophet wasallam. The Prophet wasallam grabbed him, it's reported in one narration, he grabbed him by the shoulders. And he told him that in the eyes of Allah, or according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has an incredible status. He is an individual who, who has so much going for him. The Prophet would lift up people when they were down. He would inspire them. And he would tell them what they had never heard in their entire lives, never experienced that level of compassion that they experienced from the, from the Prophet And then he went on to say, and he, he said, Ya Rasulullah, well, if that's the case, and I have a maqam, and I have a status, and I am somebody, why is it? And he just put this question out there. He said, why is it that none of the women of the Ansar want to marry me? He said, why does any, nobody want to give me their daughter, their daughter's hand in marriage, if I have such a maqam? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, with Julaybib in mind, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he went to the family of the Ansar, one of the families of the Ansar. It's reported that this particular family was a noble household with a noble tradition, uh, an esteemed uh, lineage and heritage. And they, in that family was one particular woman who was sought after by the entire population of Medina due to her standing in society, her beauty, her scrupulousness. She was incredibly religious. Uh, people wanted her hand in marriage and would come and often ask the family only to be turned down. The Prophet ﷺ went to this particular family and they saw uh, it's reported that the, um, the man, uh, the, the companion, this Ansari, when he opened the door and he saw the Prophet ﷺ, he got an indication of why the Prophet ﷺ was there. And he said, how wonderful, how blessed, how noble the visit of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ it is and what a delight it would be when the Prophet ﷺ inquired about his daughter's hand in marriage because he thought that the Prophet is asking for her hand in marriage for himself. So what a delight it would be. You know, what an honor and a privilege that it would be for our daughter to be married to the Prophet. And he, he, there was obvious joy and happiness on his face. And the Prophet said, No, 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 not for me. And then he said, Then for whom, O Messenger of Allah? Perhaps he's thinking, perhaps the likes of Abu Bakr, perhaps the likes of Umar. Perhaps Uthman Ali, these great companions who have great 
lineages who are, who are from the family of the uh, of the Quraysh, which is a lineage, which is a, a, a noble tribe. And the Prophet wasallam said, "Le Julaybib, for Julaybib." As soon as the Prophet wasallam mentioned the name of Julaybib, he was too shocked to give a response. And you can imagine what he must have been going through in his mind, because now he doesn't want to say no to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but he can never imagine his daughter being married to someone like Julaybib with the idea of what of Julaybib that he had in mind. And he said, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm going to consult with her mother. Mother, let me ask her mother. And then he went to his wife. And he said, the Prophet ﷺ is here and he's uh, inquiring about our daughter's hand in marriage. And she gives the same response, very happy, overjoyed. How blessed is the visit of the Prophet ﷺ, what an honor it would be for our daughter. He said, not for the Prophet ﷺ. Then for whom she inquires? And then he quietly said, well, for Julaybib. Julaybib? The woman, she didn't hold back. This is a mother, obviously. Mother always caring about, you know, their children and the future. For Julaybib? And she said, she, I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will never ever allow my daughter to get married to someone like Julaybib. Never. That's not happening. Not in a million years. And this daughter who was in a different room, she heard of the commotion and she comes in and she asks her mother and her father what's going on. And they are reluctant to inform her. She said, tell me. She said, the Prophet and then the father said, the Prophet has come inquiring for your hand in marriage and asking for your hand in marriage, but not for himself, for Julaybib. And then the mother quickly reassures the daughter, saying, we're never going to let that happen. Don't worry. We're not going to let you get, we're not going to get you married to Jalebib. Don't worry, not for one moment. To reassure her daughter. And the daughter, she turned to her parents and she says, are you going to reject the proposal that has come from the Prophet And she quoted, this verse of the Quran. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةَ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَعْسِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ That it is not for the believing man or woman whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger have decided a matter it's not for a believing man or woman to claim choice so far as that matter is concerned, they don't have a choice. Allah and the Prophet ﷺ has decreed a matter, accept it. And whoever disobeys Allah and his messenger ﷺ has most obviously gone astray. She said that verse to her parents. And she said that if the Prophet ﷺ has brought this proposal for me, then no doubt this is the best individual for me to get married to. This is the most noblest of proposals. There's nothing better than this if the Prophet ﷺ considers it so. She says, so I am satisfied. I am happy with the choice of the Prophet ﷺ.
And this was a reply of a great person who had a clear understanding of what was required for her as a Muslim. You know, what greater satisfaction and, and fulfillment can one find uh, more than, you know, submitting to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and accepting the command of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, even though we don't know this woman, and it's beautiful that we don't even know the name of the woman. She was described as being from a great family, noble heritage, and quite beautiful, but we don't even know of her name. And she eventually got married to Julaybib, and after she married Julaybib, they had blissful years together as, as a married couple. Uh, it's reported that Julaybib, in one particular expedition, Julaybib was sent and he was martyred and he passed away and she was widowed. Uh, in that particular expedition, the Muslims encountered some losses and when they came back, the Prophet wasallam, on the battlefield in fact, the Prophet wasallam asked them, who have you lost? So he inquired as to people, have you lost somebody? Have you lost somebody? And they would then say, we've lost this person, or I've lost this member of my family. And the Prophet wasallam said, I've lost Julaybib. On the battlefield, the Prophet wasallam said, I lost Julaybib, I lost Julaybib. And he made plenty of dua for, for Julaybib. And the Prophet wasallam led his funeral prayer, and it's reported that the Prophet wasallam he cried uh, when he buried uh, Julaybib. And thereafter, he began to smile, and he was asked, so by the companion, Ya Rasulullah, we saw you smiling and then immediately thereafter we saw you we saw you crying and immediately thereafter we saw you smiling. What's going on? Why did you first cry and then smile? He said, I cried because of the longing that I had for Julaybib. Uh, the sadness that I experienced upon the passing of Julaybib. But then I smiled seeing that Julaybib was flying in Jannah. Um, this was who this particular companion was and the status that he attained and he achieved. This is an individual who was downtrodden, who was looked down by society. He wasn't given any, not a single word of encouragement in his life. He was never, uh, no one was compassionate towards him. No one treated him with any respect or any, di his dignity, his respect was snatched away from him. But the Prophet ﷺ was there for the downtrodden. The Prophet ﷺ was, was there for those individuals who, who had no family. He would uplift their spirits. He would tell them that they were worthy. He would tell them that they were worth something. He would tell them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever forsake them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever leave them. And I'm not going to talk more about Julaybib. That's the, just the companion that I wanted to tell you about. You can look we live in that time now. We live in a time where people are judged upon the material. And a lot of emphasis is given to materialistic things. When you judge an individual, we may not have that tribal culture exist in the same way that it existed 1400 years ago. But it's, it's more than that. We have now people judging another individual based upon wealth, based upon at times their family heritage and where they came from or what instead of now what tribe they're from what country they're from what they represent and judging people based upon their appearance that still happens today it still takes place today 
If a person is poor, he's downtrodden, he's destitute, he's not going to receive a second look. People will not hold that individual in high esteem or hold him in high regards. That's just not going to happen. And those type of individuals who never receive that kind of lev level of love and affection, we're human beings. We, we need uh, sensitivity, we desire sensitivity, sensitivity of the human touch, the human, human voice, we need that for our psyche. And those individual who don't, who, individuals who don't receive it when they're younger, they experience psychological problems when they're older. That's happened uh, throughout history. You'll find examples of evil and cruel individuals who had a terrible upbringing. As children, they were treated with absolutely no dignity and no respect. And that led them to become the evil individuals that they were. You know, you want to take away, an once you take away an, or strip away an individual's respect, self-esteem and dignity, you've made them into a shell of a human being. And that's what happened when, when people wanted to conquer and create kingdoms and empires. That was the best way to do it. Strip away and subjugate the people by taking away their self-esteem, taking away their dignity. And then no matter how many of them that they are, they will never rise up against you. That happened with slavery in America for four, four to five hundred years. That happened uh, with coloniali colonialism when the British Empire uh, and the 52, 50, 52 countries of the Commonwealth you know, it, it happened in, in India. Indian, India is a perfect example. Millions, millions of Indians, yet a small East India company of a, a, of a couple of thousand subjugated them as a people because their dignity and their pride and their self-esteem was dripped away from them. It subjugates them and then they become a beaten people. They will never rise up. That's happening now with, in certain places today. Palestine. People are trying to take away the self-esteem and the dignity of the people. When you do that, you create individuals who it's easier for you, or you feel, in, in, in most cases, it's easier for you to subjugate them, and that's happened throughout human history. And I don't want to go back into history and talk about how various examples where that took place. You know that. But for us, what can we do? We must ensure for our children that we don't we don't treat them in the same manner. Or we don't treat them the way some people like Juleib or people like Juleibib were treated back then in that tribal society. We have to ensure that we uplift the spirit just like the Prophet did. We take care of people, we, we show compassion to people just like the Prophet did. So when you have children and you, you're, if you're merciless to your children as, a, as opposed to being merciful, and you constantly tell them that you're dumb, you're stupid. What are you doing? Why do you always do this? And you treat them in that manner. Then know that you're creating or you're, you're having an impact upon that child's psyche. And they're not going to be able to develop the way they should develop when you treat them in that manner. Treat them with dignity, treat them with honor, treat them with respect. The Prophet ﷺ did not swear, did not abuse. He never ever treated me in any, uh, uh, in any bad manner. The Prophet ﷺ was never merciless 
to me. Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she reports from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa who said, Inna Allah rafiqun yuhibbul rifqa fil amri kulli. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he's rafiq, he's compassion and he loves compassion in everything. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa even when correcting people, he ensured that he spared their dignity. He would never try to rip away their self-esteem. You know, there were companions who were looked down upon. The Prophet ﷺ would tell them who they are. The Prophet ﷺ would grant them a status in society. When Sayyidina Bilal was not considered or was considered in, in many parts of, of that society at the time to be worse than livestock and cattle, the Prophet ﷺ made him into the Mu'addin. The Prophet ﷺ granted them, him among the highest of honors. That's who the Prophet ﷺ was. But even when correcting your children and correcting your youth, ensure that you're kind and you're merciful and you're compassionate, otherwise you're just going to push them away. Let me give you one example and I think we'll leave it at that. There's a hadith reported by Sayyidina Abu, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala an. This individual, he said that there was a man, he, he came into the masjid and uh, as he's, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa went, uh, went down into to, uh, Raku and as you know in order for you to reach the, the Raka in order for you to catch that unit of prayer you have to catch the Imam in Raku before he gets up from Raku you must have joined the Jama'ah so he comes into the Masjid and he sees that the Prophet Sallallahu and the Jama'ah in Raku so what he decides to do is a couple of rows back as he is quickly walking towards the row he says his Takbir he says his Tahrima at the beginning, he folds his hands and he goes into Ruku, a couple of rows back, and he continues to walk towards the Saf until he reaches the Saf in the state of Ruku. And, and then he continued with the rest of his prayer. And after the prayer was completed, somebody said to the Prophet, said, Ya Rasulullah, this is what happened. This companion, he came in and he went into Ruku back there and then he walked towards the Saf. And the Prophet ﷺ, instead of reprimanding him, instead of rebuking him for that action, the Prophet ﷺ mixed encouragement with, with correction. The Prophet ﷺ did not rebuke him. The Prophet ﷺ did not vilify him. The Prophet ﷺ instead said, Zadakallahu hirsan wa la ta'amt. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase your hirs. Hirs means your enthusiasm. Your enthusiasm to catch the jama'ah and to catch every single unit of prayer. May Allah increase your enthusiasm, but just don't do that, do that again. That's it. Simple. Encourage. Uplift the spirits. This is who the Prophet ﷺ was. And this is what me and you need to learn from. We need to learn from the story of Julaybib and know that it's not about material possessions. It's not about how we look and how we are. We can see people who don't have as much as us or don't look like us, yet they may have attained the status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to treat them with the best of dignity and the best of respect. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the honor and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.